As you guys are seated, I just want to say welcome to our guests that are here today. This is your first time with us. We're so glad that you're in this building, and it is our desire for you to be connected to a local church. If that happens to be here at Perimeter Road, just know we'll be most thrilled about that. Uh, But we would love to follow up with you after today's service. And so you'll notice in the bulletin there is a connection card. And if you'll fill out that information um, during my message or during our time of offering, you can drop it in the offering plate. Let us know that you're here. We have a gift for you in the back and would love to meet you face to face at the end of the service. And if anything is said today during the message and you say, you know what, I want us to talk. I need to talk with a pastor. Um, I would love to meet with someone. There's some things going on in my heart. Uh, you can also write down on that connection card and drop it in the offering plate later in the service. And, and that will communicate to us that we need to set up a time with you and that we can meet with you. So uh, we desire that. And so if that's on your heart, know that we will be glad uh, to meet with you. Uh, It's been a great year and I kind of feel like August is is the reset. You know, you have January, which is the beginning of the year and we set a lot of goals and then we get to August and it almost feels like a a brand new year again. And so today is, is a vision Sunday and here's how it all is laid out. In January, really the vision is set for each individual. We challenge you. We began uh, this year saying, let's multiply. And so each person reach another person. So who is it that you are ministering to, that you are loving in the name of Jesus, and that you would invite to come to this local church if they are able, um, and that you will keep sharing Jesus with them in hopes that they too will follow Jesus. So we we talked about multiply. And we're going to go back to that again today as it pertains to the local church. Um, And we're kind of taking a break for, for two weeks before we head into our next book study. So for most of this year, we've been in the book of Judges. Uh, We had a great time in the book of Judges, learned an awful lot. I know I did through the book of Judges. And now we are getting ready to go to the book of James. So that will start next week. Um, I know that may be your favorite book. It seems that anytime we get into small group, uh, people desire to study the book of James. And so we're going to study the book of James together as a large group uh, for the rest of this year. So do yourself a a big favor. Read James chapter one this week, get ahead and uh, look forward to uh, plowing through that with you in the next few uh, weeks. And so let's pray, ask God's blessings on our time together. And then we will be opening up to uh, the book of Luke chapter eight. And we will look at a demoniac man who needed a rescue. And so let's pray, ask God's blessings as we look to his word. Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for bringing us together as a people. We need Jesus. We need Jesus to arrive at shore and to heal us and to restore us of our sin. God, thank you that we can look into your word today and we will see a man that was treated as an outcast. Society did all that they could to control him and when they could no longer control him, they just kicked him out of the community. Father, we confess before you that as a society, we have no answer for sin. We can only put a Band-Aid on it, but we cannot conquer it ourselves. We know that it is Christ who came, who lived among us, and he died for our sins on the cross so that all who put their faith and trust in Christ know and are assured that their sins have been paid for. Father, may this be clear today to us. 
and as we receive this message, that there will be an urgency among us that we need to go out in this community and tell people what Jesus has done. And so, Father, we ask your blessings on the study of your word now. May the Holy Spirit go forth and convict hearts. We pray for those hard, cold, stony hearts that may be present today, that you would soften them and that they would receive the good news of Jesus today and follow Christ. And God, convict us, Lord, or maybe we as followers of Christ have grown cold. And Lord, we ask that you do this great work in Jesus' name. Amen. If you will, turn to uh, Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 26. If you need to grab a Bible in front of you, please do. And you can turn to page 865, and you will land right there uh, at Luke chapter 8. And if you're taking notes today, which I think is, is great, it's good to take with you throughout the week. Go back and read over. Always uh, offer this as well, that you challenge me. If there's something that I've said up here that you say, hey, I don't, I don't think that's according to God's word, then please bring that to me. Let's talk about those things together. But also these notes can be helpful for you as you go back and study this passage. So Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 26, and we'll read a couple of verses at a time as, as we go along today. But if you're taking notes, you can write at the top, look what Jesus has done. Look what Jesus has done. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time, he had worn no clothes and he had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. And so at first glance here, as we look at this passage, we see that Jesus and the disciples are going across the sea from Galilee, which means they are entering into Gentile territory. This is not a familiar place for the disciples as they are Jews. They are not comfortable as they arrive at shore, but they were not comfortable the night before when they were on the sea and a big storm arose. Some commentators would allude that this could have been a demonic storm of some type, but we do know that storms arose on this sea. And in the middle of that storm, Jesus was asleep, didn't seem to bother him, but the disciples came and woke him up and said, do you want us to perish? Is that why we are out here? And he gets up and he says, be still to the storm. And we know the story, the waves subsided. And then they arrive at the shore. And as they come to the shore, this man comes running up to him who not wearing a stitch of clothing, obviously. And he doesn't have friends around him who are there to greet Jesus, but he's there and he's waiting as Jesus is arriving to shore, but he does have some company. He has company within him. This man is consumed with demons, not one demon, but a plurality of evil spirits within him. And the information that's given to us is that one, he's controlled by these demons. He's not living in freedom. He's not engaging in his own lifestyle and having success and doing the things that he would like to do. No, he is under the oppression of demons. And then the society treats him as an outcast. They want to have nothing to do with him. So he lives among the tombs where dead people live. Or it's kind of bad to say deaf people live, but they're dead and he lives among the dead and he is naked and exposed. And that's not a comfortable sight. 
And that's not a comfortable place to be in. It's that nightmare in the middle of your sleep when you realize, hey, it was just a dream. But for him, no, this is reality. And from there, not only is he naked and exposed, but he lived among the dead. He was a dead man walking. You know, he could have had family. We have to be very careful of reading between the lines when we look at the passages here. But he could have had a family, could have had a wife, could have had kids. Imagine his kids having conversation with other friends and saying, hey, what does your dad do? And he says, oh, you know, my dad, he's the crazy man who lives among the dead up there. Yeah, that's what my dad does. I mean, we have no connection anymore. Maybe he had good friends that he grew up with and they didn't know what to do with him when he started acting out. And so all they knew to do was push him away. But this man is living in loneliness and no one had an answer for his madness. Not a single person until Jesus comes to shore. And in verse 28, follow with me. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. And so we know that this is a demonic spirit that's crying out to say, do not torment me at this time. But I want you to put your, your focus towards the end of what we just read. When things would get bad, these demonic spirits would drive him into the wilderness. Who else was driven into the wilderness? Jesus. Jesus was driven into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. And there in the wilderness, he was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. See, we always read the back end of that when he comes out of the wilderness as he's coming out and he's tempted by Satan. But it's here in the wilderness where demonic spirits did their work. And isn't it comforting to know that we have a savior who entered into the wilderness and fasted for 40 days and 40 nights was under uh, temptation by the evil one and yet did not sin. This is the good news about the second Adam, Jesus Christ. The first Adam was put in a perfect environment, was not under the influence of sin, and yet was tempted once and had many trees to eat from, but yet ate of the one tree and yet fell. And so we say, hey, what, what do we do as human beings before God, we, we rebel against him. Why? Because we follow after the first Adam. We are in sin. We are controlled by sin. We are dominated by sin. We truly are not free on our own because either you are under the mastery of Satan or you're under the mastery of Jesus. When Jesus came, he went into the wilderness and he did not sin. That's why we put all of our hope in Jesus. He did the impossible. But for this man, he was driven into the wilderness. There he was consumed and alone. Notice the society did their best to control the problem. What did they do? They had chains, they had shackles. They tried to hold him down the very best that they could. We don't know what to do long-term here, but let's just hold him down but they could not hold this problem down. Society does not have the power or authority to control sin, but with power and authority, sin controls society. You hear that? Society will try 
to have power and authority to control sin, but it is indeed sin that controls the society. And when we say society, what are we talking about? We're talking about a community, a nation, a collective uh, people of act, uh, activities and, and interests, traditions, institutions. It's a broad grouping of people coming together. And society had no answer. So the society attempted to control the darkness. And it is Jesus who actually conquers the darkness. And so this man falls down before Jesus and he's covered with lacerations and scars. He is broken. And this is the picture that we see of ourselves when we kneel down before Jesus. We are covered in the scars of our sins. We all bring our sins to Jesus when we come to repentance. That's the only thing that we have to bring to Jesus. It's our sin. And we submit to the authority of Christ. In verse 30, Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss, which is their future. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. Now, this is a very interesting story. It's one that once you hear it, you don't forget it. Legion means multiple. The Roman army was made up of, of they had 6,000 troops that made up a legion. So maybe there was as many as 6,000 evil spirits that were among this one man. They bow down to pay homage to Christ, but Christ does not accept them. Hear this clearly. Jesus shows no pity to Satan. Jesus shows no pity to evil spirits. There is no repentance for Satan. There's no repentance for evil spirits. They bring about corruption. Everything that they do and exist here on this earth as Satan prowls around like a roaring lion is to do anything he can to keep you from worshiping God. And so he cast them into the herd of pigs feeding on the hillside, which there indicates that they were in Gentile land because you didn't have herds of pigs in the Jewish areas. So how many pigs could there have been? Mark 5, 13 says about 2,000. I mean, that's a lot of bacon. That's a lot of bacon physically, and that's a lot of bacon monetarily. And so this is going to impact people. Understand that when Jesus works, it impacts people. There are people who don't like the work of Jesus, and these people were not pleased with Jesus. Understand, this is a man who is by himself naked and exposed. No one had an answer for him. No one could help him. Society was clueless and the savior comes ashore to heal this man. And now we're gonna see the response of society towards the savior. One response we see, these demonic spirits that were upon this man were seeking to kill him, to destroy him. That was their desire, and we see that fulfilled as they enter into the pigs and they run off the cliff. You see, a sinful pagan society will submit to evil, but evil must submit to Jesus Christ. So if you're intimidated by living in the community that you live in and, and you know that you are to bear the name of Jesus and you are afraid of what may come at you as you live for Christ, 
recognize that evil must submit to Christ. Verse 34, when the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Now, Paul's right there. This is a beautiful picture of salvation. He was naked. He was exposed. He was an outcast. No one wanted to have anything to do with him. But then after these demons are cast out of him, where is he? He's sitting at the feet of Jesus, and he's clothed in his right mind. Christians, we were tormented by sin. We were prisoners to sin. All we did was sin. Even in our good works, it was counted as sin because it was not for the glory of God. But yet when Christ saved us, there we find ourselves sitting at his feet, clothed in his righteousness with a renewed, transformed mind. Verse 36, and those who had seen it told them how the demon possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. So what is the response of this miracle, of this great work of salvation for this man, no longer to be tormented by evil spirits? This society should come running and say, this is good news. This is what we were hoping for you for the whole time with the whole chains and shackles. I mean, sorry about that. I mean, sorry about us treating you as an outcast, but we really didn't know what to do, man. But thank you, Jesus, for healing one of our own. That's not their response. In fact, they're frustrated, they're angry, they're ticked off at Jesus because he cost them a lot of bacon going down the hill. And so the society wanted nothing to do with Jesus. But the one who had been healed by the sovereign king did not want to leave his side. Question for you, when society wants nothing to do with Jesus, will you be found there by Jesus' side? Are you by Jesus' side? Meaning, are you abiding in Christ as he's abiding in you? Of course, it's not going to be natural. Of course, it's not going to be easy. You're not going to find a lot of this encouragement from society because society is trying to figure out the sin problem. And it's just a cycle. It will continue to cycle. Society never has the cure. Jesus has the cure. And this is what he tells the man. When the man comes up, and I don't blame the man. Would you blame the man? I mean, you look around and nobody's excited that you're better. I wouldn't want to hang out with these people. I'd want to leave them. Say, forget you. I'll I'll, I'll go with Jesus. But notice his desire is that he, he doesn't want to leave Jesus' side. Don't we face that too? That the work of salvation has taken place in our lives and we remain here on this earth. And there are days that it gets hard we get overwhelmed with our current situations. We may go through a time of depression and we say, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. Like when will you come back Jesus? And we find ourselves caught in between two worlds, the here and now and the one that awaits us with Christ forever. 
And yet in the midst of this, is the same as this man right here, we have a calling in our lives to make Jesus known. This is to return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. Mark 5 says, and how he has had mercy on you. you know, we do have a story to tell. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you say, where do I begin? Begin by telling people how Jesus has changed you and how he had mercy upon you. Meaning you were not deserving of salvation. You were not deserving of receiving such grace. You deserve something more. He should have given you wrath. He should have given me wrath for all the ways in which we have offended a holy God. But yet we receive the goodness. We receive the mercy. We receive the grace. We receive the kindness. We receive his love. We receive salvation. This is what we're to tell people. Mark 5 lets us in and says that he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And listen to this. And everyone marveled. They marveled. You see, in Decapolis, it was known as a pagan influence. It was strong. The owners of the hogs, we see, cared more for the loss of their property than for the healing of the demoniac. What the sovereign king accomplished it's something that the society was incapable of doing. And that is healing and restoring. That's what we're to be about. We're to go to people so that they can be healed and restored. Have you been healed and restored from your sin? Yeah, you still sin. You still have this struggle, but yet you can be more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus because you've confessed that Jesus is Lord. Sin is no longer your master, but Jesus is your master. And so you experience this healing. You experience this restoration. As you continue to live here on this earth, you see improvement. Things that you used to be bound by no longer hold you down. Those shackles no longer exist. Yet they may present themselves every now and then, but yet you're experiencing what it means to be more than a conqueror. When you say, I'm grateful for who I am. I'm glad I'm not who I used to be. And I look forward to what Christ is continuing to do in me. Healing and restoration, hear it clearly. Society has no real answer for how this is to take place. And we're included in that society, meaning that when we attempt to do this without Jesus, it is impossible. We may have some temporary fixes, but we have no permanent solutions. Only Jesus provides that by his blood, which leaves us going, look what Jesus has done. And so congratulations, you just received my shortest sermon that I've delivered here at Perimeter Road Baptist Church. But here's where I want to transition it to. Do you live like this every day with the attitude of look what Jesus has done? When you go to work, when you're at home, when you're walking around the neighborhood and you're thinking who I may pass by who may I engage in conversation with? Can I get it to look what Jesus has done? Or do you just feel like that's an incredible inconvenience to people and it's really not worth it to push people away? Let me tell you the challenge for this man. He was to go back home and share the gospel. There is a great need. And let me just challenge everyone in the room that if the apostle Paul were with us today and he says, you mean you have a thing called airplanes? 
You can fly over the seas instead of going by boat and being in storm to go share the gospel. You know what the apostle Paul would tell us? Save up some money, get on an airplane and go tell somebody about Jesus. Go do it. I mean, we can go overseas and we should go overseas. We should take our wealth that we have in this country. And and understand when I say that, I know everybody's on a different plane here, but we take what we have, we save what we have and we hop on that airplane and we go to a place where they don't hear the name of Jesus every day and go share about Jesus. Yes, we should do that. So so don't hear my next statement and go, oh good, that, that doesn't apply to me. But it is hard to do missions at home. Here's why I think that's the case. When I was in college, uh, I took an opportunity, two different uh, spring breaks, to go down to Panama City Beach. Some of you have heard me tell this story before. You said, why did you go to Panama City Beach? To party, man, why not? No, I'm just kidding. We went down there to share Jesus. And I knew that I was going to be heavily outnumbered because I just felt like the majority of people going down there weren't really interested in having Bible study that week, at least. And as we arrived, it was amazing how many people would stop in their tracks on the strip at the evening time. That's, I have to clarify what that is. That is a road um, where people hang out. Um, and there you share Jesus in the midst of chaos, in the midst of somebody getting arrested over here because they couldn't control themselves and you have to be careful of what a young lady is doing over here and you have some guys over here that are up to no good and and all of a sudden you begin to have these conversations and people were truly interested in the midst of a wild party I was amazed you know for one week for one week I was sold out for one week those who were with me were saying we are going to identify ourselves as Christ's followers and we'll be unashamed of that But that wasn't the greatest challenge. By far, that was not the greatest challenge. You know, the greatest challenge was when we arrived back in Valdosta on Oak Street and we were getting ready to pull back in to get into our cars and go home. And here's what our campus pastor told us. He says, now, the real mission begins. Right here, guys. What you were there, will you be here? You know, the first thing I thought was absolutely, yes, man, I'm sold out. We're going to do this. No, it wasn't. My thought was, I don't know if I'm up for it. Why? Because it's going to cost me something. It's going to cost me dying to myself daily and rising in Christ and carrying that cross on that campus and telling people about Jesus. In short, People will know me as a Jesus follower. I mean, let that sink in. Are you comfortable with that? Do you want to be known as a Jesus follower? Like the first thing that people think of is that person loves Jesus. There's no doubt that person loves Jesus. Christian, I'm talking to Christians in the room. Do you really want to be associated with Jesus? If so, amen. But I'm telling you, it's a challenge in your hometown to share the gospel day in and day out, but we are called to do it. And that's why we've been placed here. And that's why I wanna take this challenge for the rest of this year and throughout the school year. Students, this week, many of you are going back to school and you're gonna sit in a desk. It's gonna have your name on it. Or maybe you'll walk into the room and they'll say, hey, pick any desk you want to. And you go, okay, I think I'll sit here. And when you sit in that desk at the front of the room, 
right? See what I did there? You're welcome, parents. You'll notice who's sitting around you. Why are those people sitting around you? And why are you sitting in that desk? Because young Christian, God has placed you there to let people see what Christ has done. Same thing with work. Same thing with the house you live in. Think about where you live. Why has God put you in that neighborhood? Why has God put you in that countryside? Why has God put you in that apartment complex? So that you can show the people around you what Christ has done. See, that's taking Jesus to the community that you live in. That's penetrating the culture with the light of Jesus Christ. I just have to ask an honest question. Is that really on our hearts and minds these days as a church? I hope that it is. I hope that it will be. And I want to challenge you that we will be known as Jesus followers in this community. Before anybody ever knows that you attend Perimeter Road Baptist Church, would they know that you love Jesus? And are you willing to take this good news to them? It's hard, it's challenging, but that's why we gather weekly so that we can encourage one another in Jesus Christ. I need your encouragement just like you need my encouragement. I need you, you need me. That's why God has put us together as the church, our fellowship centered on Christ. And so where do I wanna go with this? In January, we talked about multiply. Just as a reminder, one person that needs to know Jesus, have you, have you talked to him yet? Have you, are you continuing to pray for this person? Do you even know who this person is yet? If you don't even know yet, and, and here we are in August and you're, you're not sure, and you were here in January when we started this, begin to pray, God, who is this person that you want me to share Jesus with? And then will you go and, and, and meet with them and care for them and maybe find out what their needs are, maybe what their burdens are, how you can pray for them, how you can encourage them? Because the win is not just them being converted to Christ. The win is that they're true disciples and that they have eternal life in Christ. And that means we must be genuine with the gospel. And so we've been called to multiply. And, and, but here's another way that I believe we as the church can help. If you will, everybody look in, in your bulletin and you have this card. It's called a quip. If you'll take that out. One of the main purposes of today is to call attention to this here. You know, if we're thinking about this man and he was sent into, back into his home, he needed to be prepared. He needed to be equipped. And yet he did have a story to share. And it was a great story. I mean, to be in the presence of Christ and see Christ's work and to sit at his feet, there was learning that took place there. And for us, there are, are many things that we need to learn. And there are many challenges that stand in our way. Oftentimes we think, you know what, when I get a little older, when, uh, when we get the kids kind of settled in school or when these kids graduate, then I'll get a little bit more serious or, you know, and we keep pushing it down the line. But I just want to encourage you, let's do this right now. I want to ask that you would be in prayer and that you would commit to coming on Wednesday nights. And you say, oh goodness, here we go. He's, he's going to make us feel guilty because we don't come. And listen, guilt trips do not work. That is not a desire of mine. You just being in this building on a Wednesday night is not going to make you a better Christian. It's not. It's going to be the desire to grow together. And one of the opportunities that we have is on a Wednesday night. And we're pouring a lot into this. We're pouring a lot into this to, for your children. When kids come on Wednesday nights, they learn the catechisms. And I can tell you several stories about how these kids being trained in the catechisms and being taken to the Bible, how it affects their everyday life. 
But not only that, but for our students, for our teenagers, it's a big night when they come together on Wednesdays and and they're fed the gospel and they can encourage one another and they can support one another in small groups. That is a significant time for them. But it's not just for the kids and the teenagers, it's for adults as well. And here are a few things that we want to offer because we've had conversations with you. And you know what? Over the last three years, we've done doctrinal studies, which I think were, were good and were needed. We went through the Baptist faith and message. So when people ask you why you are Baptist, you, you have a good answer for them. Besides saying, well, I've always been Baptist and John the Baptist was Baptist. And so that's why I'm Baptist. That's, that's not really why. But on Wednesday nights at 6.30, we're going to gather together. 6.30 until about 7.45. And we're going to study. And, and here are the few things that we're, we're going to look at. Um, if you see on this card, the first one is how to study the Bible for all it's worth. Yes, we are. We are going to study how to study the Bible. One of these classes is to sit down for eight weeks and so that you will learn different ways in which you can dive further into the Bible to help you, to encourage you, not to intimidate you, not to make you feel like you, you can't do this, but to encourage you that you can open up the Bible alone and, and read it and, and glean from it. So that's one class. Uh, Pastor Joby is going to be teaching that on Wednesday nights uh, starting in in two weeks. And we encourage you to come and and take part in in this class. But then there's also a class in which I will be teaching Mormonism. What do they believe? And why have we chosen Mormons and why are we picking on them? Well, one, we're not picking on them. Uh, We we love them. Uh, We want them to know Jesus, the, the Jesus who came and lived among us who died on the cross, who rose from the grave and will return for us, the Jesus who created us. And it breaks my heart to have conversations with other Christians. And when we talk about other religions, we look at it as us and then they, them. Just the other day, um, Friday night, I believe, my wife and I were out on the town and we were riding around and I noticed two young men crossing the street White shirts, nice ties on, young guys. And you know your first thought when you see two guys in a white shirt and nice ties, you think, Mormons. And why are they here? They're here to convince you that what they believe is true. They're giving up two years of their life. 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds, 20-year-olds. If you go play at BYU, you know why BYU is so tough in football? Because they're all like 25 years old. Why? Because they go on mission and then they come back and then they're grown men playing this game. They'll go give two years of their life. Why are they doing that? We want to talk about it. But we also want you to be prepared so that when somebody comes knocking at your door, one of these young men, we don't open the door and have some smart response to them like, go read the Bible or I'm Baptist. Or I don't have time for this. Or better yet, I mean, who am I kidding? I mean, who opens the door these ways anyway? Peek through the blinds or you have a doorbell that you can see through. But when you open the door, you can say, man, I would, I would love to have a conversation with you guys about Jesus. Would you come in? Can I fix you some water? Would you like to have a snack? Can we sit down and talk about Jesus? That's what we want to do. That's what living on mission in this town looks like. And in order to do that, 
We need to take time to study. And so what we have done is we've, we've done the preparing. We've done the studying and we're gonna pour it out before you. There's some of you out here who have a heart for Mormons and you know more about it than me. And you're probably gonna end up teaching this class before it's all said and done with. But I'm thankful that you have such a passion. We're gonna come together and this is one of the things that we're gonna discuss. Now, it is unfair that I'm talking on and on about this because this is the class I teach, but understand that we're gonna have more than one session on this but then there's another class that we're going to have. And, and many of you ladies have said, you know, we, we desire a ladies Bible study. No men allowed. We get it. Okay. We get it. We do want to provide a night for, for ladies to come together to encourage one another around the word. And so Miss Lily McGregor is going to be teaching on Colossians. And so this is going to be a wonderful time for you to come together, ladies, uh, to encourage one another in prayer and to dig into this book. I love that we have a desire to go through books of the Bible. And here's what you're gonna get out of this as well. As you're going through this class together, as Miss Lily is teaching and y'all are together in this, you're gonna learn how to work your way through a book of the Bible. You're gonna be able to read Colossians on your own. You're gonna come back and you discuss it and be encouraged as the church. And so these are the first three classes that we're offering in what will be five sessions starting in August and going through the end of next July. And I hope that you'll attend all five sessions, but I just want to encourage you right now, attend the first session. And on Wednesday night, this Wednesday night, we're going to end early. Just going to go ahead and put that out there because we know that school has started or will start. We're going to meet from 6.30 until 7.30. 7.30 sharp. Everything's done at 7.30. We go home uh, so the kids can get a good night's rest but we want you to come and it's going to be a night where the leaders that I mentioned who are teaching these classes, they can expound a little bit more upon these classes. And it's a one night sign up where you can sign up for the first session and the second session. So there's actually going to be in the second session, a fourth class that's added. And you'll see that on here. Do well, a biblical financial study, which will be led by Ted Welch. And I'm excited for this financial study because a lot of us uh, need to be encouraged on how to hold a budget how to even know what God has given us and how we can use that for his glory. And so this is going to be a class that I encourage all of us to go through as well. We're going to offer all of these classes multiple times, multiple sessions, so that if you don't get the class you want the first time, we'll pair you up the second time, okay? And so we also want to make sure, and, and I say this most, especially for our ladies, we will do this Colossians study uh, probably three times if there is a need to do it three times. So if you don't get into that ladies class the first time, look for it the second time. And I want to encourage you with that because we, we want to keep these classes as small as we can instead of having a big influx in one class and smaller classes in another, especially when it comes to studying Colossians and ladies being able to talk around the circle together. And so wanted to take that time to explain this again. I do believe it's worth taking the time and I encourage you to come try it out. This Wednesday night, we start. If you can't make this Wednesday night, you can sign up next Sunday or next Wednesday night. You can get into a class and we will get rolling and we will begin this time together. But we want to be equipped so that we can be on mission here in Valdosta. And we're excited. That it's not only these classes, but the many classes that will come in the future with the purpose of equipping you so that you can carry on conversation and you can share with the people around you. And so finally, I want to let you know of one last thing that we're doing as we prepare to end our time together uh, in the word and encouragement today. Um, we are going to go on a prayer walk tonight at Dewar Elementary at 6 p.m. 
very excited about this opportunity. So what does it look like? What does a prayer walk look like? Uh, we walk uh, through the school, around the school, and we pray. And we ask God to work mightily in the lives of teachers and of the faculty and of the students. We had a wonderful opportunity, a wonderful privilege. Uh, at the end of the school year, uh, when classes were dismissed, uh, we were able to host a luncheon with close to over 80, I believe, uh, teachers and faculty at Dewar. Uh, they had their luncheon here as an end of the year program, had a great time. And we want to reconnect with these teachers and with this school. And why have we chosen Dewar? Uh, because it's within this one mile radius where we exist. And so this is us as a local church collectively together saying, we want to minister to this school. We don't want to get in the way. We don't want to come with our own agendas, but we want to go and we want to care for 800 children. And then close to 100 teachers and faculty. And so it begins with prayer. And so tonight at 6 p.m., uh, would you come and join us? Just arrive at Dewar Elementary right down the road here. And we will meet together. Uh, our lead deacon on this, our lead deacons would be Jonathan Crowdis and Teddy Welch. And they will lead and guide us in this time of prayer as we meet on this campus. I'd ask you to just try to be there as close to 6 p.m. as possible so that we can get started and we can pray. We will go home. We know that it's a big week for everybody coming up. But what a wonderful opportunity we have as the church to pray for this campus and, to God, and for God to do a great work. And uh, I'm so excited uh, that we have this connection, this opportunity. The principal there at Dewar is Miss Katie Chapius. Uh, is she here today? She's not. She's in. She is taking care of kids because that's what she does. That's awesome. And so, um, but that's our connection. And so we want to encourage her. Uh, she has a big job ahead of her this year, but she has communicated with us many opportunities, which we'll unfold for you in the coming days of how we can minister to the children and families of Dewar Elementary. So all of this to say that this is where God has placed us. And you may be thinking about that next move. Some of you have a move coming up. But in the time that you're still here, this is where God has placed you. Go share what Jesus has done. And know that you're not going to be the only one out there doing it. That we're going to encourage one another, young and old, all in between together, out there sharing the gospel. So thank you so much for your attendance today. I'm so glad that we could come to God's word. I hope that you will read back over Luke chapter eight this week, that you will see a reflection of yourself within that story. And I just want to say this, that if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Christ and you're saying, you know what, I'm not saying I'm possessed by demons or anything, but I'm definitely controlled by sin and I need to be saved. I need a savior. Make the good confession that Jesus is Lord come and talk to us. We, we, we want to encourage you uh, to walk in faithfulness in Christ and be a disciple. And to the church, may we be faithful in this endeavor this week to go and tell people what Jesus has done. Pray with me. Father, thank you for our time together. And Lord, I am most encouraged that we could look to your word And there we see that you have the answer. There are many examples that we could use today, that we could speak of today, of where there's brokenness, 
and where society truly has no answer. But you have the answer. And so, Father, my prayer is that we would look to Jesus today. Save many, Lord, and those whom you have saved. May we grow in Christ, and may we go tell people what Jesus has done. We thank you. Amen.